Hello and welcome to Building State Capability at Harvard University's podcast series. The audio policy paper podcast series features an audible version of our academic papers, making our research more accessible to a global audience. Today, Salima Samji reads a BSc working paper by Professor Matt Andrews titled Public Policy Failure, How Often and What is Failure Anyway? Public Policy Failure, How Often and What is Failure Anyway? A study of World Bank project performance written by Matt Andrews at the Harvard Kennedy School. Abstract. Observers claim that public policies fail often. This paper asks, how often? It is an important question because public policies absorb resources to address major social issues. We should know if policies are proving bad social investments, routinely failing to solve focal problems at high costs. Unfortunately, it is not easy to assess this. Many public policy organizations, governments in particular, do not provide accessible views onto overall success or failure. The World Bank does, however, provide such a view, and it supports policy interventions one finds in governments across the world. The paper thus examines World Bank failure rates. It finds there are different answers to the how often question, depending on responses to a second question, what is failure anyway? In studying both questions, the paper identifies a bias in the World Bank, and probably all organizations adopting rational plan and control policy processes to measure project and product success rather than a broader view of success as problems are solved with development impact. This means that policy organizations like the bank judge success based on whether planned products are delivered through an efficient process not whether policies solve the problems that are warranted the intervention in the first place, or whether the policies promoted development outcomes. Is this how citizens would want their public policy organizations to conceptualize success? Section 1. Do public policies really fail so often? In 2010, the Manchester Business School's Mariana Fotaki authored an article titled, Why Do Public Policies Fail So Often? In 2014, Princeton University's Peter Schuck wrote a similarly titled book, Why Government Fails So Often. Whereas both studies claim that public policy failure is common, neither study bases its analysis on more than a limited number of specific cases, leaving one to wonder, how often do public policies fail? Yes, failure happens, but is it 20% of the time or 50%? And what do we mean by failure anyway? These are important questions because public policy results matter. Public policies are often needed to address society's toughest issues, where the market has failed, for instance, or where societies face collective action challenges, or where public goods need to be produced. The world is in trouble if public policies targeting such issues fail routinely, and we should know if this is indeed the case. Public policy initiatives also absorb a large proportion of the world's resources, accounting for an estimated 16% of global gross domestic product in 2017, or $13 trillion. 
and a high rate of policy failure would mean that we are wasting these resources. We need to know if this is the case to consider reallocating our limited resources. It is not easy to answer these questions, however. Governments, the main organizational entities pursuing public policies, seldom, if ever, provide data one can use to assess overall policy success or failure of chosen policy initiatives. One option they do offer is public sector deficit numbers, which allow one to see where governments spend more on policy engagements than citizens can afford. The measure does not capture what governments actually achieve with the money, however, through the many projects and activities they fund. Beyond this, governments typically offer audit reports to report on spending behavior, but these tend to provide limited information on the compliance of spending behavior to legislated budgets. Additionally, some governments produce performance data for some of their interventions, but the information is seldom comparable or accessible across the entire policy portfolio to obtain a general picture of success or failure. In the absence of such data, one could perhaps consider citizen surveys to see where government policies are perceived to succeed or fail. Such surveys are hard to interpret, however, and observers suggest that they reflect media-influenced frustration with economic and political conditions, rather than experience or evidence-informed views on government policy success or failure. What we really need to assess how often failure occurs is a database of policy results. Imagine if a public policy organization provided detailed, transparent, accessible data on the success of all its activities, projects, budget operations, and more, in a way that allowed deep dive analysis of each intervention and broad reflection across the full portfolio of such interventions? Luckily, such a database exists. The World Bank, a multilateral entity that pursues policy initiatives in and through over 150 governments across the world, assesses the success achieved in hundreds of unique projects every year. The bank's internal ratings of such success are publicly available, providing a valuable lens into the performance of public policy interventions funded by the organization. This paper examines performance in over 400 of these interventions, all of which concluded operations in the period between 2016 and 2018 to determine the regularity of failure in the portfolio. The finding is that failure happens between 25% and 50% of the time, depending on how one defines success and failure. The failure rate is about 25% if the definition focuses on what might be called project or product success, where the policy intervention followed process norms and delivered on promises, outputs, or near outcomes. The failure rate is about 50% if the definition asks whether the policy intervention solves the problem it was designed to solve, or is likely to produce more ambitious development outcomes or impacts, what I call problem solved with development impact. Through this analysis of failure rates, the study sheds light on what the bank means by failure. 
is it just about project success or also about broader development impact? This allows a conversation of the topic for public policy organizations more generally and especially for those organizations that develop and implement policy interventions using a plan and control approach. The discussion suggests that these plan and control organizations are likely biased to focus on project and product success rather than problems are solved with development impact because the former focal point is more amenable to planning and control than the latter. This raises a new question in the conclusion. Is this how citizens would want their public policy organizations to conceptualize success? In suggesting a response to such question, the paper offers a new blended approach to measuring success and failure. Section 2. Plan and Control Public Policy Processes At its simplest, public policy involves the many steps public organizations take to address problems raised by their constituents or members for attention. Policy interventions are made by an organization on behalf of the public oriented toward a goal or desired state, such as the solution of a problem. These interventions are also typically part of an ongoing process without a clear beginning or end, since the challenges warranting policy attention and the voices drawing attention to such challenges are constantly changing. Governments are the main organizations involved in making and delivering public policies. These governments serve their citizen public. Other organizations also served constituency groups with public policy interventions. The World Bank is an example of such. It is an international multilateral organization that supports public policy interventions in over 150 member countries. Financing is the bank's primary means of policy support, with the organization providing billions of dollars to hundreds of policy projects, also known as operations, every year. This paper examines the success and failure of the bank in facilitating these policy engagements. Before looking at the bank's success and failure record, however, it is important to reflect on how the organization works, and especially how it develops interventions. The simple version of this story is that projects are identified, prepared, and executed through a standard project cycle used to structure policy engagements. This cycle has multiple stages. One, it begins with World Bank experts responding to a need or problem expressed by the government officials in a particular country. These World Bank experts then engage expert officials in the relevant government if a process of identifying potential solutions to address such need. The World Bank staff, sometimes with government officials, then prepare a project proposal deconstructing the solution into operational dimensions and a series of practical plans to guide implementation, including budget, procurement, and human resource plans and a project timeline that specifies what will be done, when, by whom, and at what cost. The project proposal then goes through appraisal, 
where a larger group of World Bank experts visit the country and do a due diligence analysis on the various plans. The project is then subject to negotiations between the World Bank and the borrowing government before being presented to and potentially approved by the World Bank Board. Once approved, the project moves into implementation where the host government and bank officials identify an implementing agency to lead the work. A World Bank team provides supervision of the implementation process by regularly visiting to ensure the project is progressing as planned until the project is complete. An evaluation then ensues where every project is subjected to a similar set of questions about results, process compliance, and risks to development outcomes. This World Bank project cycle resembles project management processes employed by many governments and most public policy organizations working in the development field, including bilateral partners like the United States Agency for International Development, USAID, and the British Department for International Development, DFID, and others. The project cycle is also similar to the budget planning and implementation processes commonly used to promote policy engagements in governments across the world. These processes tend to begin with detailed upfront planning by line ministries. They move to a step where the plans are set into law, such as budgets, and advance to a period of controlled execution where the goal is to ensure that implementation reflects what is in the budget plan. They finish with evaluations by external audit agencies that are sent to legislatures to ensure accountability for spending. All of these mechanisms have a similar, a similar linear choreography and are what I call plan and control processes. These plan and control processes start typically with a detailed planning stage, progress through a lock-in moment where the plan is set in stone and then moves to the implementation stage where various agencies are given responsibilities to execute control and supervise activities and culminate in an evaluation stage. Section 3, Rating Public Policy Success and Failure. The World Bank has been rating the projects it funds through these plan and control processes for decades and publishing these results in reports that also go into detail on how projects were designed and implemented and how specific entities involved in the project performed. The ratings are also compiled in a publicly available database where one can view the basic assessment data associated with past projects. Links in the database allow interested parties also to access the detailed documents of each project to pursue deeper analysis of unique project experiences. The most referenced rating of each project used to reflect might be called the project's success in the organization's annual reports. This captures how satisfactory the project outcome was from the bank's point of view. This rating captures the World Bank corporate perspective of a funded project's overall outcome, reflecting three main concerns. First, it assesses process compliance in executing a project, including if the project adhered to policy, budget, and other requirements, or whether there were shortcomings in the operation's achievement 
of its objectives in the efficiency or in its relevance. This is called efficiency. Second is the rating speaks to the extent to which the operation's major relevant objectives were achieved or are expected to achieve efficiently. This is called efficacy. The third rating assesses whether a project's activities appear relevant to the broad development goals or problems that led to the project need in the first place. This is called relevance. An ordinal six-point scale is used to capture this rating, showing how a project scores in the range from highly unsatisfactory, a score of one, to highly satisfactory, a score of six. Overall, the satisfaction outcome rating will be high, a five or six, denoting success, if a project produces its predefined objective, and if these objectives were reached efficiently and appear to be relevant to achieve a broader development outcomes. The bank reports tend to count any project that scores above four, which is moderately satisfactory, as a success. An example comes from the Georgia Regional Development Project, which was rated moderately satisfactory, given the following description, and I quote, relevance of the PDO, project development objectives, to the government and bank strategy is rated as high. Efficacy of the first objective, to improve the infrastructure services for supporting the development of a tourism-based economy, is rated substantial. The efficacy of the second objective, to improve the institutional capacity to support the development of a tourism-based economy, is rated modest. In terms of what was achieved, Overall efficacy, however, based on what was achieved together with what can be expected to be achieved in the next five to ten years, efficacy is rated substantial. Efficiency is rated modest, based on the inefficiency of the project's cost effectiveness and given its administrative and operational inefficiencies, which contributed to delays during implementation and eventually non-completion of important activities at project closure." End of quote. This kind of World Bank satisfaction rating does not directly assess whether policy interventions actually foster progress in addressing the broader development problem or needs that inspired the project identification in the first place. Ratings merely suggest whether project deliverables are relevant to the broader issue. The World Bank's Jurgen Blum describes this limit to the World Bank's assessment protocol as follows, and I quote, For a given bank project, IEG, Independent Evaluation Group, outcome ratings primarily measure the extent to which the project's major relevant objectives were achieved, not, or at least primarily not, whether the project made a difference for the client government's performance or ultimately for development outcomes. While relevance is one of the declared evaluation criteria, de facto evaluation practice suggests that the prime evaluation criterion for a project is whether it achieved its immediate objectives, whether these are in turn relevant for achieving overarching development goals is often contestable and made in practice play a much lesser role. 
It would be cynical to believe that many projects do not make a difference for broader development goals, but the extent to which this is the case and varies across projects is not reliably reflected in project ratings. End of quote. It is important to recognize that the bank takes the challenge of producing broader development objectives through its projects seriously, however. The Independent Evaluation Group, IEG, tries to ensure that project preparation processes foster upfront thinking about relevance by mandating task teams to present the theory of change underpinning their operation in the preparation process. The goal is to get teams to explain how they think the project will address the need or problem identified by the government and yield future outcomes that solve the problem. A common approach to developing the theory of change in a project, based on what is commonly called the logical framework or results framework. According to this approach, project designers must identify the logical if-then theory behind a policy intervention. Identifying the if-then theory starts with identifying the need or problem that should be addressed. For instance, a government might be concerned that firms are using outdated accounting practices that do not reveal the true value of debt, which puts our financial markets at risk. The exercise then calls project teams to identify the inputs they would employ in a policy intervention. For instance, funds will be made available. The theory of change then moves to specifying activities that these inputs will produce and explaining how and why these inputs are expected to yield such activities. For instance, the money in a project will pay for accountancy consultancies that will be procured through the government procurement process at a specified date and rate. Then, the team has to identify outputs it expects to see after activities, how and why these outputs are expected. For instance, the consultants will produce a new draft accounting law which reflects international best practice. The theory of change then specifies outcomes expected from outputs and explains how and why those outcomes are expected. For instance, the draft law will become a formal law, which will mean that government has new accounting legislation in place to mandate the adoption of improved accounting practices in firms. Finally, the theory of change explains how proposed outcomes are expected to yield needed impacts, most clearly solving the problem or addressing the needs expressed by government. For instance, the new law will force firms to adopt improved accounting methods and this will improve the way they account for debt, which will decrease the risk of unaccounted debt in our market. The theory of change approach is intended to help project designers determine the scope of operational commitment, structure the operation, and communicate how the operation is theoretically expected to yield broader development impacts and solve whatever problem the government is concerned about. Given such reasoning, evaluators often concern themselves with how valid the theory of change is and whether there is a strong or weak likelihood of jumps from the activities and outputs produced directly in a project and the outcomes and impact needed by countries. This concern is reflected in the Implementation Completion Review 
ICR report for the Bolivian Decentralized Electricity for Universal Access project, where the independent evaluators noted, and I quote, while the link between the project's inputs and output is clear, project outcomes were not defined, and therefore the link between actual outputs and outcomes and the PDO is missing, end of quote. This evaluation concern is captured explicitly in an additional rating used by the World Bank, the Risk to Development Outcome, RDO. This is described as the risk at the time of evaluation that the development outcomes or expected outcomes will not be maintained or realized. Each project is rated for RDO on an ordinal four-point scale that ranges from low, a score of one, to high, a score of four. In the Bolivian project, the RDO was significant, a three, given concerns that project outputs would not yield more results because of economic and social instability, political interference, low demand, or delivered through the project, and lack of interest from the private sector, as well as a concern over who would continue implementation once the project was completed. The risk to development outcomes rating is an additional piece of information to consider with the project satisfaction rating when evaluating World Bank project success or failure. Assessments of these risks and satisfaction outcomes emerge from a multi-stage process. They are conducted initially by the bank's internal task teams who manage the projects through the implementation. Ratings from these teams are captured in documents called implementation completion reviews, ICRs, the World Bank Independent Evaluation Group, IEG, reviews these assessments in a desk-based study to offer second-hand validation where the ICR ratings are examined in light of a review of past project documents and selected interviews with bank team members. The IEG also selects a sample of the projects to review in more detail each year, visiting these countries to interview government officials, review results on the ground, and provide a first-hand perspective on performance. There are many critiques one can make of these assessments. They do not represent a broad view on results, for instance, and they are certainly not of academic quality in determining validity, of reliability, or even comparability in findings. In fairness, the bank has never claimed any of these qualities in reporting on the ratings. They use the ratings to communicate a corporate perspective on performance across their portfolio of activities, to showcase overall results to shareholders, and to inform internal thinking about whether the bank works, how it works, and with what impact. This study uses the ratings in a similar way, not as an objective measure of success or failure, but rather as signals provided by the bank of its own views on its own success and failure. Section 4. How often do public policies fail? Well, it depends. This study looks at the assessments of 416 World Bank projects rated in the period between 2016 and 2018 to first get a glance at the bank's own performance picture and in particular how often the bank 
as a major public policy organization thinks about failure. The sample is limited to years post-2015 to capture changes in coding introduced in that year. This sample is still impressive, however, covering projects in over 80 countries and activities in many sectors common to public policy interventions. The projects were all completed in the years between 2016 and 2018 and accounted for $88 billion in total, with allocations ranging between $2 million and $2 billion. The projects were between 1 and 12 years in duration. The longest project began in 2004 and finished in 2016. Over the 400-plus projects that were reviewed in this study, the top six sectors include agriculture and rural development, transport, urban, energy and mining, environment, and education. The variation of the projects in this database suggests that one could indeed be looking at the public policy portfolio of a government. So, what does failure look like in that portfolio? Section 5. Looking at Project Satisfaction Results. As explained, the World Bank's Project Satisfaction Rating System allows for more than a thumbs-up or thumbs-down view on the success or failure of each project. Data show levels of satisfaction from 1, highly unsatisfactory, to 6, highly satisfactory, which means that we can get a view on the regularity with which bank projects achieve different levels of success or failure. This view suggests that extreme public policy failure is extremely rare. Fewer than 2% of the projects received highly unsatisfactory ratings. More general public policy failure, where a project receives an unsatisfactory rating, is more common, happening 10.3% of the time. And more qualified failure, where a project receives moderately unsatisfactory rating is even a bit more common, happening 11% of the time. Altogether, projects falling into these lower categories of qualified or extreme failure account for 24% of all projects. After accounting for such failures, one is left with 76% of the projects. Over three-quarters of all the public policy initiatives funded by the bank in the period in question, in more positive assessment categories. Only 3% of these projects were considered highly satisfactory, akin to being extremely successful. But 31% were assessed as satisfactory, akin to being a full success. A further 42% were assessed as moderately satisfactory, similar perhaps to being called a qualified success. These results suggest the following on the regularity of failure and success in public policy initiatives, at least in initiatives supported by the World Bank. Projects fail outright or worse 10.5% of the time. Projects are fully successful or better 34% of the time. Projects achieve mixed results 53% of the time. And in most of those instances, about 80% of the cases, the results tend to reflect more success 
than failure. Whilst this view of the World Bank project performance is subject to the caveats raised already about the quality of the data and requires much more interpretation and analysis, it surely indicates an answer to the question asked at the start of this paper. Public policy failure is not that common and does not happen so often as some suggest. Indeed, the evidence indicates that public policy success is more common than failure, but the most common outcome is qualified progress. Section 6. Looking at risk to development outcome results. This statistic is not the end of the analysis, however, even with regards to the basic information provided in the World Bank project database, as noted, the project satisfaction rating only assesses what the bank project intended to deliver in the initial project plan. And the efficiency of delivery or the extent of control in the execution process. It does not directly assess the development impact of the public policy intervention made through the project, whether the project's deliverables solve whatever problem originally motivated the project, or if the project's deliverables were used or fostered real development. In Blum's words, these ratings do not capture, and I quote, whether the project made a difference for the client government's performance or ultimately for development outcomes." End of quote. As discussed, the World Bank does try to capture some view of this kind of impact, however, through its rating on the Risk to Development Outcomes, RDO. As noted, this is described as the risk at the time of evaluation that development outcomes or expected outcomes will not be maintained or realized. As also noted, each project is rated for RDO on an ordinal four-point scale that ranges from low, a score of one, to high, a score of four. A more successful project would score a low rating because evaluators think that there is a low risk to the achievement or maintenance of outcomes, a less successful project, or one that might be called a failure risk would be scored a high rating, 3 or 4, because evaluators think there is a high risk to achieving or maintaining outcomes. The ratings on RDO for 387 of the 416 projects in the database tell a different story to the satisfaction ratings. Projects with high risk are at the extreme right and account for 13% of the total. These are the projects with greatest chances of failure, where evaluators worry about the lack of or non-sustainability of development outcomes. Projects with significant risk are next to the right extreme and account for 38% of all projects. Together, this is a significant to high risk of failure project group. It accounts for 51% of the public policy portfolio. This leaves 49% of the projects in the low-risk to moderate or mild-risk categories. These are the projects one could categorize as more likely to succeed, or fairly likely to succeed with qualification. The more positive of these categories only include 8% of the project in the World Bank's portfolio.
The second, more qualified category includes 41% of the projects. The headline of a story about these ratings could easily read something like this. 51% of World Bank projects are at significant to high risk of failing to foster development outcomes. This is quite a different message of public policy failure to that derived from the satisfaction ratings, where projects in the three most pessimistic categories, highly satisfactory, unsatisfactory, and moderately satisfactory, only account for 24% of the total portfolio. Section 7, Determining Policy Failure Rates, a Plan and Control Bias? So far, this analysis shows, at least in the context of the World Bank, that public policies do not fail 60% or 80% of the time. The failure rate is rather between 20 and 50%, depending on which of the World Bank's assessment measures one focuses on. Which raises the question, which of the two measures should one focus on? Satisfaction with immediate project performance or risk to producing or maintaining more demanding outcomes? The answer inside the World Bank is clear. Satisfaction rates matter, not the risk to development outcomes. This is demonstrated in how the bank reflects on its success. Consider a 2018 IEG comment on the question, are World Bank group projects getting results? And I quote, each year, IEG reviews the aggregate development effectiveness of World Bank Group projects completed during the past three years. Have projects delivered measurable results for the clients? And are the World Bank Group's constituent institutions meeting their corporate targets? The 2017 results and performance of the World Bank Group report answers some of these questions for the projects completed during the FY14 to 16 period. We found that although the share of the World Bank project rated moderately satisfactory or above increased by 3% since FY11 to 13 period, it remained below the corporate scorecard target of 75%. End of quote. A key takeaway from this is that the corporate scorecard target of the World Bank's success centers on the proportion of projects considered moderately satisfactory or above moderately satisfactory. This is obviously self-serving. With the organization focusing on the lower of the two failure rates, it is easier to say we fail 24% of the time than it is to say we fail 51% of the time. However, the focus on project satisfaction results is not just about the World Bank's incentive to tell the best possible performance story. This kind of focus is common for policy interventions introduced through the plan and control approach described earlier in this paper. Interventions produced through this dominant approach tend to be biased towards looking at the immediate project product and how this product came about, not impacts of the product. The bias is perhaps best understood when considering how plan and control interventions operate in context of the theory of change discussed earlier. As introduced, theories of change used in project preparation and budget proposals, especially those in the logical and results framework tradition, commonly specify the links between policy inputs and activities, activities and outputs, outputs 
and outcomes, and outcomes and impacts. The outcomes and impacts are arguably what governments and citizens want from policy interventions, but most projects execute this theory of change up to the output or initial outcome stages only. The project deliverable is therefore defined at this stage and the project commits to produce this deliverable. Using an example from earlier in this paper about a project addressing debt issues in the private sector, the focus on products and processes could involve a commitment to deliver a draft new accounting law with financial inputs procuring consultant activities and these leading to a key output, the draft law. The project would not commit to further results, which would require engagements and actions that are not under the direct control of the project designers or implementers. Legislators turning the draft law into formal legislation, for instance, and private firms complying with this law. These outcomes and impacts are achieved in the aftermath of the project, and the likelihood of achieving such depends less on the direct work of the project and more on the theory of change on which the project is based. An example from the World Bank project of this bias is to evaluate inputs and activities and outputs with light attention to outcomes and not to focus on outcomes and impacts in the 2012 Balochistan Disaster Management Project evaluation. The evaluation was undertaken with a limited focus on assessing performance against the project development objective as formulated in the grant agreement. This objective was to strengthen the capacity of the project implementing entity to prepare for and respond to natural disasters. Within this focus, the project was considered satisfactory, scoring 5 out of 6 on the World Bank success system, given a 17 of the output targets were achieved or exceeded, and only 3 were not met and 1 was awaiting approval at the project closure. In addition, 3 outcomes were also considered as met, increasing awareness of the hazards and the risk environment in Quetta, an improved disaster response mechanism at PDMA Balochistan, and enhanced capacity at PDMA Balochistan for implementing community-based disaster risk management initiatives. However, the project was considered high risk when it came to reaching development objectives because the success of the efforts to sustain the achievement of the project will depend on the continued commitment of the government of Balochistan to the disaster risk management agenda, which remains uncertain. A list of specific risks to achieving or maintaining development outcomes includes the risk that the capacity enhancement plan will not be implemented, the risk that the Disaster Management Information System, the DMIS, will not be maintained, the risk that the government's commitment and sense of ownership were dependent on individuals and there is a risk that this may change with the administrative and political changes in government, the risk further that the DRM planning and implementation may be challenged by the volatile security situation.
In sum, the project is included in the success part of the World Bank portfolio because it delivered the outputs promised in the grant agreement, even though the evaluators seem extremely pessimistic that the products delivered will actually be implemented or yield outcomes or impacts needed. Success in this approach is about delivering what one can plan and control, even if this does not assure achievement of the real development outcomes which are relegated to the project's aftermath and the vagaries of politics and policy uncertainty. Theoretical work has been done to explain and describe the various dimensions of project success. There is a large literature on this topic which argues consistently that there are multiple ways of measuring project success. A common approach delineates between process and project management success and product success and social and organizational or business strategic success. The process and project management success measures the immediate performance of a project against its main design parameters, schedule, time, budget, costs, scope and or quality, the iron triangle or the three-legged stool of project management. Bannerman notes that this concern remains the most widely used measure of project success and notes that its main value in its offering a simple direct measure of performance of a project and the project management expertise applied to complete the project within the bounds of the most immediate design parameters, time, cost, and scope. The second product success measure measures the extent to which a project delivered is promised products, and if those products were used and considered useful by intended users or provided intended benefits to the targeted beneficiaries. As with process and project management success, this measure can be assessed directly against the design parameters in the project plan, where evaluators can ask whether stated deliverables were actually delivered according to plan specification, quality considerations, and the like. The third, social and organizational business and strategic success assessments go beyond the design parameters of the project plan to ask whether interventions solved the particular problem, albeit in a timely, costly, and effective manner, that warranted an intervention in the first place. And even more expansively, if the project better positions the community or organization to address future problems or take future opportunities and benefits by ensuring, for instance, that capabilities are improved through the project. There is a direct overlap between the process and project management and product success concepts and the World Bank satisfaction ratings and with the theory of change deliverables up to outputs and proximate outcomes. These are key success measures for any plan and control policy intervention because they can be planned for and controlled. Concerns about social and organizational business and strategic success are seen to overlap with the more demanding development outcomes concerns in the bank. As discussed, these are captured by the risk to development outcomes rating and might be called problems are solved with development impact success in the public policy context. 
This is akin to achieving outcomes and impacts in a common theory of change, which usually unfolds in the aftermath of a typical World Bank project and many other public policy interventions. Plan and control interventions, like World Bank projects, seldom focus on these results because they occur indirectly and after the project is done, are subject to external factors and gaps, and are hard to plan and control. Section 8. Policy Failure, Often Enough and Defined Too Narrowly. This paper asks a basic question. How often do public policy interventions fail? It does so by examining over 400 projects in the World Bank policy portfolio. The bank is an organization that supports policy interventions found in governments across the world and that provides data on the success and failure of these interventions. The study finds that there are different answers to this how often question, depending on responses to a second question. What is failure anyway? The failure rate is about 24% when one asks about project and product success, whether planned products are delivered through an efficient process. The failure rate is 51% when one takes a broader view of results and asks if problems are solved with development impact. Do policies solve the problems that warranted the intervention in the first place, or whether the policies promoted development outcomes? This evidence suggests that failure is at either a manageable level, 24%, or a high level, 51%, depending on how one conceives of policy failure. It notes that the World Bank uses the lower figure when it reflects on its own failure and publishes such to the world at large. The study argues that this tendency to focus on project and product success is not just a World Bank habit. It argues the approach taken in any public policy organization that uses plan and control management methods these organizations will define success in terms of whether their plan was well implemented, given strong control. Any results that cannot be planned for or controlled are considered outside the influence of the policy organization. So, one can expect organizations like the World Bank and governments across the globe to declare success if their policy interventions produce new roads, laws, organizations, even research papers and training programs, all promised in plans and budgets and project agreements, even if no one drives on the roads or complies with the laws or works in the organizations or reads the research papers or learns anything new in the training programs. Is this how citizens would want their public policy organizations to conceptualize success? The chances are that it is not. Citizens and other constituencies, business communities, or even governments, in the case of organizations like the World Bank, engage their public policy organizations with real problems that require real solutions. These solutions are only really manifest when real outcomes and impact are achieved. The success criteria I call problems are solved with development impact. The fact that these results are often achieved after projects are finished does not mean that projects should be off the hook in ensuring they are achieved, or at least in managing risks to their achievement, such as the risk to development objectives, is low at the point of project completion. 
At present, the World Bank's portfolio is dominated by policy interventions that end up with significant to high risks to development objectives. 51% of the projects are in this category. These high-risk projects should surely not be seen as successes, even if they met limited project delivery objectives and are considered project and product successes. A broader way of thinking about success and failure in the World Bank and other plan and control organizations can be thought of as follows. If you think about a two-by-two two matrix with one side having low to moderate risk for development outcomes and significant to high risk of development outcomes and the other side having highly unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory or moderately unsatisfactory results and moderately satisfactory, satisfactory or highly satisfactory results. So if you take the first quadrant which is the significant to high risk of development outcomes and the highly unsatisfactory unsatisfactory or moderately unsatisfactory results, this is the most negative and is 22%. It includes projects that were considered general to the extreme failures of the satisfaction rating and were also seen as very risky in terms of the potential to deliver development outcomes. These projects, 22% of the portfolio, were considered failures on both metrics they should most worry a public policy organization like the World Bank, which cannot seem to deliver outputs or outcomes or impacts in the relevant project areas. The second quadrant has low to moderate risk to development outcomes and highly unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory, and moderately unsatisfactory results is also concerning. It includes projects that were considered general to extreme failures in the satisfaction rating, but were not considered risky in terms of the potential to deliver development outcomes. These projects, 5% of the portfolio, are curious to consider as the public policy organizations could not deliver output satisfactory, but is not concerned about emerging outcomes and impacts. The third quadrant is also concerning. This is where you have a significant to high risk to development outcomes and a moderately satisfactory, satisfactory or highly satisfactory results. It includes projects that were considered general to extreme success in the satisfaction rating, but risky in terms of the potential to deliver development outcomes. These projects, 31% of the portfolio, are those in which the public policy organization has been able to deliver immediate outputs, but is uncertain about delivering actual solutions to policy problems or outcomes and impacts that improve development. The fourth quadrant is the most positive. This is where there is low to moderate risk of development outcomes and moderately satisfactory, satisfactory or highly satisfactory results. It includes projects that were considered general to extreme success in the satisfaction rating and were also seen as not risky in terms of the potential to deliver development outcomes. These projects, or 42% of the portfolio, were considered successes on both metrics. They should most please public policy organizations like the World Bank, which seems able to deliver outputs, outcomes, and impacts in the relevant project areas. This suggests a broader view on public policy success and failure that currently exists in the World Bank, or I believe in any organization working in a plan and control tradition that tends to foster a narrow project and product success view. 
This new view suggests that only 41% of the World Bank's policy interventions are both direct project and product success and have the potential to foster indirect development outcomes and impacts. A larger portion of the organization's policy portfolio, 59%, is failing on either the direct project and product performance measure or the indirect problems are solved with development impact performance measures or both. This is a public policy failure rate that is surely too often. We need policies that more regularly solve problems and that use resources more effectively in so doing. This raises a parting question. What can be done to decrease the failure rate and push more public policy interventions into the area of low to moderate risk of development outcomes and moderately satisfactory, satisfactory or highly satisfactory results? Thank you. To read the full working paper, please visit the link below. And to learn more about the Building State Capability Program, visit bsc.cid.harvard.edu.